Welcome to the Unfair Advantage podcast, where we will explore the unique experiences, skills, and abilities high performers bring to bear in their field. In each episode, we will unpack the guest's expertise and insights to help all of us develop our own unfair advantage. Welcome back to the Unfair Advantage podcast. I'm delighted to be joined today by Evan Burke. Evan, how are you? Alex, I'm doing awesome today and uh, really excited to chat with you um, on the Unfair Advantage. I'm excited to have you. We've known each other for some time and it's been a real privilege to watch the evolution of your career. I'm wondering if you could share a bit about your background and what you're up to now. And then we're going to talk about a really cool book you just wrote. Yeah, thanks for that, Alex. Uh, Sure thing. I have a little bit of a unique path when it comes to coaching at the highest levels of football. So I went to school at the University of Colorado. I did not play sports there. I played in high school, um, but I was, I was not a great football player, not a great wrestler in high school, did not get recruited. Uh, And I felt when I was in college, I was missing something. And that kind of led me to coaching youth sports while I was still a student at the University of Colorado. Uh, I eventually coached a fourth grade football team uh, my junior year in college. And then from there, I I coached at a local high school in Boulder uh, my senior year in college. And from there, was able to progress um, through a 12-year career that included stops in the NFL, uh, Division I college. Um, So I went from SMU to the Miami Dolphins to uh, McMurray University to UCLA, Uh, And like I was saying, it's a little unconventional just because of my background, as we're very familiar, typically coaches have uh, played either professionally or collegiately and and maybe have a semblance of a network starting out through through their playing days, or maybe they have a dad or a family member that is an executive with a pro team or has been in coaching for, for 20, 30 years. Uh, and, and they have kind of uh, that network to tap into. And I didn't have any of that. So I uh, had to really kind of hustle my way from fourth grade football to the NFL in six years um, and uh, really had some awesome experiences. As you mentioned, we've known each other since very early in my career. And uh, about five years ago, I left football coaching um, when I was at SMU or excuse me, at UCLA. Uh, and transitioned into doing what I do now, which is executive coaching and speaking really around leadership, team building, peak performance. Uh, And I just wrote my first book uh, called Finding Intangibles, which is really kind of the culmination of my 20 years in coaching and um, really just kind of looking at what are the traits that drive the elite performers and championship teams. Well, let's let's pick up where you're leaving off. So what was the genesis of the book? Why did you decide to write Finding Intangibles? Yeah, so like I mentioned, um, I uh, after college and coaching uh, at that high school, I was able to catch on at SMU. Uh, and of course, at the time, I was an ops intern. Uh, so as I like to tell people, I knew nothing really about football. I, I didn't have anybody kind of teaching me along the way. Uh, that was like my first experience and i can remember obviously being inundated just with kind of like the day-to-day life of a coach but distinctly i was always fascinated by recruiting and team building and even from very early on in my career i can remember being in those meeting rooms us bringing certain players up to talk about them 
and talking about everything that normally people talk about in terms of height and weight and what they look like on film, but we didn't talk about anything else. And I can remember being 22 years old and thinking that wasn't right, thinking that there was more to the picture of recruiting and evaluating whether this player and more importantly, this person was going to have success in this environment. And we never talked about it. Um, and of course, as a 22-year-old ops intern who's there to pass out Chick-fil-A's, I'm not going to raise my hand in a <laughs> recruiting meeting and say anything. But I think as I progressed through my career, I started to kind of see those coaches that initially I had read about, right? Like read about the Nick Sabans and the Bill Belichicks and how they run their evaluation and recruiting processes. And then I started to see those same beliefs in some of the coaches I worked with. And I don't think it was a coincidence that those were the coaches that also uh, saw things differently from all the other coaches that I worked with were also the best coaches that I was around um, and also kind of saw something in me too. Um, you know, you can imagine I'm, I'm not a physical, you've met me, Alex, but I'm not a physically intimidating person. I didn't play. I don't look like the typical football coach. That was tough at times, especially early in my career. And uh, I think those coaches I'm speaking of kind of saw in me maybe a little bit of what they were looking for in the players they recruited. So that's really where this book started. Um, I, I got my master's degree at SMU and did my last uh, independent study master's thesis on talent acquisition in college football. So I was interviewing these coaches that had uh, won championships at USC under Pete Carroll, uh, talking to, to people that had played under Bill Belichick and the Patriots and, and worked under Bill Belichick and the Patriots, and really kind of picking apart the people that did it the best over the last 20 years and interviewing them and finding out what was it about that time. Yes, they had talent. We all are very aware of like the talented players those teams have had, but there was another quality that they were looking for in all of their recruits. Uh, and that is what I've always been fascinated with. And, and that master's thesis, so to speak, ended up becoming the foundation for the book that I, that I wrote. It's really, the book is, is awesome because it's, you know, it showcases the way that you think. And obviously I've, I've had the privilege to exchange ideas with you for some time now, but you've also collected a ton of information from a a pretty broad ranging group of people and distilled it in a really digestible way. And I think you're, you're kind of starting down the path of answering a question that I think a lot of people across sectors are really curious about, which is like, how do we figure out more beyond sort of the technical, tactical, or physical skills and understand who this person is and how do we figure out what about that is even important? And so to that end, I'm wondering if we could maybe start with, you know, I think before we were sort of recording, you mentioned it's like ignoring the unimportance, I think is, is what you said was sort of one thing that's really resonated from you and your work. So let's start there. Tell us what ignoring the unimportance is and, and where you learned that and why it matters. So early on in my time at SMU, we had a, uh, a player come visit. So this is probably 2000. 6 2007 this player is still playing in the nfl today uh and obviously we we didn't know that he was going to be this type of nfl player or else he wouldn't have been looking at smu 
back in 2006, 2007. And I remember spending the whole day with his parents, awesome parents, awesome family, great kid. And the conversation after they left, when we were trying to decide if we were going to offer this young man a scholarship was, well, he's six, one and three eights, but, but like, Oh, I mean, if he was six, three coach, we would sure, we would surely offer him, but you know, he's six, one and three eights. Oh. And also, did you notice his share, his shoulders are kind of narrow? Yeah. Oh, I did notice that. Yeah. His shoulders are kind of narrow. Um, now, obviously I'm picking one person out and kind of highlighting this moment, but I think that I was hearing conversations like that my whole career and literally in my head thinking, none of this matters. None of this matters. Now, if you're at the University of Texas or Ohio State or Notre Dame in terms of football, you have the luxury of saying, you know what? Like we can get this same guy in, as a 6'6 frame. Uh, so let's just go get that guy. But like if you're SMU or one of these mid-level programs in division one, like you're never going to get the six, six guy that has all those talents and all those skills and all those intangibles. And so I just felt even with this young man in particular, where it was like, we're missing the most important part of who this person is, of like how great his parents were of just like, what a great young man he was. Uh, and I think there's a tendency in high level sports to get so infatuated with the things that maybe look sexy, but actually don't translate to success at all. And so like talking about how narrow somebody's shoulders are, yeah, that can be part of your evaluation piece and painting the picture, but like what drives success at those high levels for specific positions or just being a successful athlete? It, yes, you have to have a baseline of talent, but it is all of these other things in terms of the work ethic having a growth mindset, the passion and love for what you do and an ambition to be great. Uh, talking about team sports, specifically being an excellent teammate, being likable. These are the things that you see in commonalities but between all of the best performers in any sport, like across boundaries. And so why is that not talked about when we're talking about recruiting at college? I don't care if we're talking about D3 or D1. Uh, so the, the story I kind of tell in the book is, is Cooper Cup, who, you know, is now one of the top receivers in the NFL. He just had the best receiving season in the history of the NFL this year. And he's a third round draft pick. And I thought a lot of this was around his 46640 that he ran at the combine. And like, you know, they asked him as he was on his way this season to, to having this incredible season and winning the MVP of the Super Bowl, like, why were you overlooked? And he goes, honestly, I ran a 4.6640, and it was the only time I ever ran a 40 in my prep for the draft and since then. And the 40 is not this uh, determining factor in what makes you a great receiver. It's knowing how to set your defender up. It's knowing how to create separation in and out of your breaks. Uh, it is the release of your route. It has nothing to do with your top end speed. And we see this all the time, especially in the NFL. <laughs> Guys are drafted very high. And those mistakes usually aren't made, um, you know, with the, uh, you know, with the talent. It usually has to do with these other things in terms of their success or their lack of success with these characteristics. But 
I think there is an, a, an extreme focus on these unimportant aspects that really don't translate to anything, but the media and maybe people that haven't been educated in this way tend to focus on. I think it's really interesting to listen to you talk through it because you're, you're, you're describing it like it's really simple, but I think that the skill set you're talking about, the sort of like identifying these intangibles in this young man who's visiting SMU and now has this obviously very prolific professional career to still be around 15 years later, that's a pretty unique skill, I think, but it's not one that I don't think other people could learn. So when you're meeting with someone thinking about the intangibles, how are you starting to identify what those are? Well, this is really important in terms of understanding who the person is and who the player is. So understanding who the player is, is obviously your, your evaluation on their talent, their skills, the measurables, like we just talked about, but to get to know the person, you have to really dig deep and you have to find the story. And there's a chapter in the book where I kind of talk about finding the story as a way to understand the person you're bringing into your team. And I think, you know, it's interesting because like in coaching, for me in particular, I didn't have a dad I could lean on. I didn't have people that were teaching me as I grew up or that I could emulate. I had to go learn all of it on my own. So I was self-educated in that way. Uh, and there's no like training program for, for college coaches in particular to teach them these things. And so like, what do coaches do? Oh, go talk to the high school coach. What does the high school coach say? Well, the high school coach is gonna tell you exactly what you think you should hear from a high school coach. Uh, very rarely are they going to kill a kid. He's always going to be the hardest worker. Uh, you know, he's always going to be self-motivated when you talk to the high school coach. But that doesn't really tell you anything. The high school coach benefits from having, a, uh, in this case, a Division I recruit or just a recruited athlete on their team. So you have to talk to other people. And specifically, you have to talk to the invisible people who those individuals, those athletes don't think can help them. Uh, so, you know, talking to an academic counselor and you don't have to have these long drawn out, oh, what do you think of Alex? Uh, you can just ask, you know, very simple, like, hey, you know, um, I know you've been Alex's academic coordinator for the last two years. Like, has he been a challenge to work with at all? If they say anything other than he's been an absolute pleasure to work with, that is giving you insight into what that person is going to be like when he comes onto your team or she comes onto your team and, and who that person truly is. Like they know the coaches control their playing time. They know that they, they talk to other coaches. So they're going to treat them as such, but the janitor, the person that cleans up the locker room uh, more oftentimes than not, they're going to be treated uh, from the, the true personality aspect from those people. So finding the story is really difficult and it takes a lot of time and you have to put time and effort into understanding who they are, uh, understanding the, the backgrounds of their parents, uh, talking to people about them. I have a, something I talk about in the book I call incognito interviewing which is talking to teammates or talking to other people under the guise that you're evaluating somebody else, but you're really evaluating the, the individual teammate that you're trying to find information on. And it, you might interview somebody for 15 minutes in a throwaway line of like, oh yeah, your quarterback, right? What's his name? Oh yeah, Alex. 
Oh yeah, Alex. Yeah, is, is he a good teammate? Uh yeah, what I mean, he's okay. You know, that's telling you a lot, but you have to you have to set that meeting up. You have to go spend that 15 minutes to get that one little piece. Okay, well, if you know that like one of the most talented players you're looking at is not really a great teammate, what does that tell you? Um, and it doesn't tell you everything. It's not like, well, okay, it doesn't matter what his talent is. Like, he's a so-so teammate. You have to build this entire picture. And, and as I kind of talk about in the book, I tried to bucket it out as simply as possible. And I saw the commonalities as mindset, passion, or heart, and, and, and being a team first player is kind of the three areas that people most often list uh, of, of areas they're looking for, for these intangibles. So finding the story is really important to discovering these immeasurable things that really kind of dictate their future success or their future failure. Uh, so it's kind of understanding that qualitative measure uh, in this very number-driven uh, quantitative uh, evaluation process. That was wonderfully said. And I wanted to double back on where, where you, you just mentioned the three buckets. So correct me if I missed this, but I think I heard mindset, being a great teammate. And what was the third one? Heart. Heart. Okay. Can you, can you tell us like what goes into those three buckets, right? How do you know if someone's a great teammate? How do you know if someone has the right mindset? What are you looking for when you're finding intangibles? Yeah, so I, I think let's start with mindset. Um, I, I read Carol Dweck's book, Mindset, uh, towards the end of my coaching career, actually. And I remember reading it, and I have notes uh, that I had written down at that point in time, you know, this is 2014, where I was literally kind of thinking to myself, like, wow, everything she's talking about in here dictates what you're looking for in a recruit. And I really wish I had read that when I was 22 years old. Uh, getting into coaching. But I think like what you're looking for in terms of growth mindset in particular is somebody that is able to get knocked down and not only is able to get back up, but also able to reflect back on why they got knocked down or areas that they can improve in and, and really kind of have that ability, whether it's a failure or a success, to continually improve. And you see this all the time in these great athletes, uh, you know, for football in particular, people like Tom Brady, people like Aaron Rodgers that, you know, Aaron Rodgers went to junior college, not good enough to play division one. Um, you know, you think about what it takes for someone like that to kind of go through the junior college experience, like, you know, fall in the draft, sit behind an all-time great and kind of like continually get better on that scout team. That's not an easy thing to do. Um, and, you know, Tom Brady trying to replace him with Drew Henson and like continually elevating his game um, and, and winning at, at, the, at the high level that Michigan was playing at at that time. Uh, like that, those are the qualities to like keep coming back. Yes, those guys have baseline talent and skills, but they've improved over time. Uh, nobody that evaluated Tom Brady, like there was a reason he was a six round draft pick. Like he didn't have those skills, but he had all these other abilities. He had these like incredible leadership abilities, work ethic, um, this ability to continue to get better. So I think mindset is like that first piece. 
And like what you're looking for, you know, I was talking to the assistant GM of the Texas Rangers um, recently on my podcast, the highest level. And uh, I was asking him about kind of like the things that they look for. And he was talking about, they just drafted this kid, number two overall, Jack Leiter. He's the son of an NF, uh, of a major league pitcher. So a lot of people in evaluation would say, oh, he's, you know, he's got the genetics. Oh, he's been around his dad his whole life and he's really good. That's what most people say and just like assume. But when I was asking this GM, it, it was Josh Boyd, um, who was the assistant GM, director of scouting for the Rangers. He said, uh, what we really liked was he had thrown a no-hitter. And while he was throwing the no-hitter, he was still changing up his pitches. He was still trying other ways to kind of like hone his craft or like improve his curveball. And they were talking about even in the midst of like this great success to that point in his career, he was still tinkering. He was still trying to find other ways to improve. And then that kind of was an insight into the type of competitor that he was. He wasn't just sitting back thinking, oh, I've, I've thrown two no hitters this week. Uh, everybody's talking about me being the top overall pick. Like he wasn't satisfied with that. And so like this idea that despite whatever success that you have, that there's always another level to go to, um, that is something that really separates the people that have success um, and, and can turn an average person into, into a good player uh, or a, a great a, a good player into a truly great player. So that's mindset. And I can stop here if we need to take a break because uh, I'm getting pretty fired up and excited. I like it. And the example of, of this young man as a pitcher is, is incredible. I mean, the, the sort of continuing to refine and take that risk and be oriented toward learning versus preserving a great performance is, is pretty remarkable. Maybe give us the highlights on Hart and being a great teammate, because I think people really care about these two. Totally. And I, I think when I was thinking about Hart, you know, I kept seeing these words pop up. And for me, I was thinking like, how can I explain this in, in a tweet or an Instagram post, right? Like, how can you break this down as simple as possible? Well, a lot of people talk about how important the sport is to them. Uh, they talk about passion. They talk about an ambition to be great. I qualified these as all falling under the heart category. Um, because it's one thing to kind of like push through the successes and the failures, uh, to kind of have this attitude of always improving, which I associated with growth mindset, but I felt like the heart piece was a little different. It was the passion, the, the importance that it places uh, or that person places on being a great player. Like, do they truly love the game or do they love being an athlete? And, uh, you know, for anybody that's worked at the professional level, this is like the ultimate question. And, you know, I think at the heart of the book is really, you know, for, for college recruiting and for professional athletes, uh, and this applies to business too, it's like once you get to that point and once you sign that D1 scholarship offer, once you sign that first $20 million contract, do you want the guy that thinks, oh, now I've made it? Or do you want the guy that signs on that line and says, okay, now I can get to work? And, and that's really kind of like where a lot of this comes from and, and people that are passionate about being great, the importance that it has for them. I, I think that that is kind of constitutes under heart. And I saw a lot of similar phrases uh, that kind of aligned with all these things. And then for, for being a good teammate, 
it's quite as simple as somebody that is willing to forego any personal success or individual uh, glory or accolades for the betterment of the team, for what's good for the team. And, you know, here we are in 2022, uh, Ben Simmons just set out the entire regular season uh, for basketball. Now, there's another piece to this where, like, you know, I don't know what his mental state is, and I don't know how, what, what happened in Philadelphia. But from an outsider's perspective, it seems like they kind of, t- you know, they kind of told him, oh, well, you know, maybe, maybe we can't win with Ben Simmons. I don't know. I mean, like, who knows? Uh, and and he didn't play for a year. So I think like, what well, would Kobe Bryant sit out one game because he was upset, uh, or would he just like go on a tear and score, you know, forty eight points a game that season? So it's like when a guy is kind of doing something that is hurting the team, uh, like what Ben Simmons went through, just kind of putting whatever issues might be there aside, like that's 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 a challenging situation for the entire team uh, let alone somebody who is supposed to be a cornerstone of your team so like you look for these people that like have this desire to win and like winning is the most important thing um and, and i think like that's ultimately what you're looking for and, and this is getting harder and harder today especially with kind of the uh, now the emphasis and focus on the NIL deal in college athletics, you know, there's so many other things that these athletes are involved in. Um, you know, it, on one hand, it can make the people that are truly focused on being great, easy to find. Um, but it also makes it a little harder to sift through everybody else uh, to understand who really, who really wants to be great, who really is all about winning and, and being there for their team and, and who's just there to, to be uh, a, a player or, or because of the way that they're treated as an athlete. What's fascinating to me about this and the work you've put together, and I, I love the three categories, and it's a thought I've had for some time is, you know, most athletes at say the elite division one level for college football, like you do have to have a baseline physical ability to get there. And then most of the time, what ends up being the limiting factor are these three buckets you've just laid out. It's, it's not, you've already crossed the threshold to be a part of the program. So the chances that this is truly, you know, a player's not playing because it's a real physical deficit or a real skill deficit. Like, yeah, maybe, maybe we haven't coached enough. Maybe he's not learning. Maybe, you know, he's not paying enough attention. Some of those things might be true, but they all still sort of relate to these buckets that people overlook. And then you look at, you know, some of the greatest athletes and the people we, we celebrate now from a Tom Brady, like I remember watching him practice in Tampa Bay. It was a day off for him and he's out there playing fullback on offense just to help his teammates get reps when he should be resting. You've got Kobe Bryant who writes a whole book about his mentality, not about like some great, you know, step back three or crossover. And so it's, we see how these intangibles play out and impact these incredible athletes' careers, right? And the list goes on and on. And yet for whatever reason, we seem to stop at the physical side. And I'm wondering like, what do you think that's about? So in the book, I talk about the talent paradox. Talent is essential to success, but success is not determined by talent. And I have a section in there where I'm talking about building a funnel. 
So if you're a team, you need to decide, like, what is your talent acquisition funnel going to look like? How is this going to look? Well, in my funnel, uh, talent is a minimum requirement. In other words, if you are an NBA team and you're evaluating people and they're on your draft board as a draft eligible player that you're interested in, like you've determined they have kind of like this baseline talent. Uh, now, we all know, like if we're talking about high level draft picks or, or high acquisition cost players, like there's a high level of talent associated with that. Um, and, and like you can't discount that. And I think that needs to be put into the equation. But for really, when we're talking about 98, 95% of players, like the, the difference in talent is negligible. And, you know, I cited Tom Brady a moment ago, like not a good, not a great quarterback coming into the league, but he had all these other qualities that allowed him to continue to elevate and he made himself into a great quarterback. Um, you know, we didn't get to see it with Aaron Rodgers because he was on scout team for three years. Um, you know, never playing. And, you know, I think that when we're talking about talent, I don't want to say that this book is all about like, hey, you need to get the most polite players on your team. And it's all about intangibles. No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is if I'm part of a team and we're talking about anybody, we've already determined that they have the talent to do the job. To do the job. Like this person is this size they can do what we need them to do in this role. Uh, and I think that a lot of times, you know, it's very difficult to think outside the box, especially in those rooms. We're looking at a player and all we're seeing is the talent and the stats. Uh, but you mentioned Tom Brady a moment ago. And like, here's Tampa Bay. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are literally the definition of an average football team two years ago. They literally cannot win. They cannot get out of their way to win. They are like perpetually seven and nine, eight and eight football team. And they've got, by the way, the most talented quote unquote player in the draft. They got a number one draft pick, Jameis Winston. So like on paper, he's supposed to be the franchise quarterback. Can't lead them to a winning record. They go acquire Tom Brady. Now, everybody looks at it and they say, well, they got the greatest quarterback of all time. Okay. He is the greatest quarterback of all time. Tom Brady right now is not the greatest player in the league. I, I would maybe, I, I, I'd argue that he's probably in terms of pure quarterback talent, arm strength, he's probably around 15, maybe 10, right? Like he's not the best player in the league, but, but where he has this unbelievable effect is like what you just described. I'm going to go play fullback for scout team. I'm going to be here every single day in the off season. Oh, you want to throw with me? Great. I get here at five o'clock. I'll be done with breakfast at 515. We can go out on the field at 530. And I remember Scotty Miller, who was like the sixth receiver on the team last year, talking about being excited about Brady getting there. He wanted to become the Julian Edelman of Brady in Tampa Bay. And he talked about the effect that Tom Brady had once he walked into that locker room. And he said exactly what I'm kind of paraphrasing here. Like, yes, he's talented. He's a really good football player. But where he had the most effect was like he was showing up every day. He was working. And it's like when we saw how hard he worked and how he took care of his body, the light went off for all of us. Like, oh, we're not doing what we need to do to have success. We're doing the bare minimum. We have talent. 
we have talent as a minimum requirement, but we don't possess any of these other skills that are going to allow us to elevate. And so like, how do you measure the effect that Tom Brady has on that team? Most people look at it as like, well, he threw 49 touchdown passes last year. That's how you measure it. I, I would argue that like that has very little to do with the actual effect of them winning a championship. Yes, he's a good player and he created a uh, cascading effect of confidence and belief that they had a chance and all that good stuff. And that's, that's great. And I obviously believe in that those are intangible qualities, but like it goes back 12 months before that going into that playoff run where it's like, Oh, none of us are doing what we have to do to, to win. This guy is doing what we have to do to win. And he's the greatest of all time. And he's spending more time here than anybody. So what does that say about me if I look in the mirror and I say that I want to be the Julian Edelman to Tom Brady, you know, here in Tampa Bay? That's just one example. Um, but I think that the, the pressure in our culture and the way that we focus on all of these cool things like touchdown passes and 40 times, uh, again, talent is essential to success. You have to have that talent, uh, but it doesn't determine success. It's all of these other things that determine and what's funny about the 49 touchdowns that, that you reference and what people are ascribing to success is the, the Scotty Miller story because there were, I don't know, 20 or 30 of those stories where the, the players on the team are telling you that the most important thing this guy, has got, this guy has done is lead and teach me and teach me how to be a great player, be a better teammate. It wasn't the on-field stuff. And I'm sure in any business or space really, there's a tendency to be kind of over-indexed on the measurables or the outcomes and the things that we can kind of easily quantify. Um, but I think you're, you're really shedding an important light on some of these other qualities and characteristics. And you said something really interesting in, the, in this last bit here that I, I wanna unpack with you as we get close to wrapping up here. You, you called these intangibles, you said they were skills. And I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about the development of intangibles. There's the part of, of us that needs to look for them, but then there's also the reality that, that these things can be developed, I think. What do you think about that? Yes, so I, I agree. I think they can be developed. And I think it becomes difficult the older, you know, obviously we're talking a lot about you know, athletes. And so they're going to be developing at a young age. And there is a, an element, again, going back to finding the story of like, okay, so if I'm interviewing this player and I'm asking this player about schemes and the player literally just says to me like, yeah, coach, I, I don't know. Like I just get handed the ball and I just run through the open hole. So part of me would be as a young coach, looking back on myself, I would be like, oh my God, this guy doesn't understand anything. <laughs> he doesn't get anything. Um, and like, I'm going to make assumptions based on what he just told me. Uh, but then if you really start unpacking it and you find out that he has always been in a zone read offense. And when he was in high school, like to make it easier on him, that's what they just did. And he was so talented in college that they kind of just did the same thing. Uh, and they've just, he's really just been in these offenses that have been pass heavy and like they run three running plays. So there's no need to really learn anything. Why would I need to learn anything coach? Like I just, I either run left or right or, or up the middle. And it's like, if you hear that from a player, 
that maybe has nothing to do with like his lack of desire to learn that might've had to do with like the coaches he was with. So I think that you have to understand, okay, like has this person tapped out their development, both in, in terms of skills and in terms of the intangible skills. I think a lot of this sometimes goes back to, and, I'm, and it intersects a lot with the work that, that you do. And I know that you've done for a long period of time. And it's like, how do you build that confidence, right? Um, a lot of people, despite having a tremendous amount of success, don't view themselves as successful. Um, or, or they are quick to move on from those successes and focus on the places where they fall short. Uh, and I think when I was reading Carol Dweck's book, uh, Mindset, she talked about this. Like, are you praising the person, the result, or are you praising the effort? And I look at, you know, going in and talking to a high school coach and, and even meeting parents, you can tell how that athlete has been treated, how they talk about themselves, how they talk about their own successes. Um, you know, asking an athlete like what their greatest accomplishment was. And if they say, oh yeah, you know, um, when I won the rushing, the league rushing title, that was my best accomplishment. Well, kind of an insight into how they view success versus like, oh, you know, our team, we went from two wins my freshman year and, you know, we ended up competing for the conference title my senior year. And even though we lost, like that game was representative of everything we'd been through, like, oh, okay. So now that kid is telling you, but a lot of times they may not know any better. So you have to understand, like, am I dealing with a 22 year old that has never really been taught these intangibles or is this ingrained in them? Um, and and I uh, sorry, I should have asked you before, like, are you allowed to cuss on this podcast? But like, if you're dealing with a piece of crap, like that person's probably a piece of crap, <laughs> like um, to put it bluntly, but like everything else, there's probably a story to find out about that person and, and how they can develop. And I'll be quite honest with you, Alex, I don't know if I'm the best person to talk about the actual development of these intangibles. Um, you know, I, I look at my own development, and I think a lot of it was through the stories that I was hearing as a child subconsciously growing up, like the people I looked up to. My mom, working as an airline stewardess, to put herself through college. My grandpa, like always going to work at 5 a.m. Every, every weekend I went over to visit him. He's working at the breakfast table. And like, so like that ingrained in me, this work ethic of, uh, that I think drove me through my college career. Um, and nobody like sat me down and said that, you know, I have to have work ethic. It was just like known like, oh, you have to do that. Well, work comes first. Okay. That was how I was raised. Um, and I think, you know, maybe, maybe things like, uh, I, I thought acting, believe it or not, um, I was involved in acting my whole, uh, like high school career and really my ent entire like youth. Um, and I'm, I wasn't like in commercials or on TV. I'm just talking like in school. And I think speaking gave me confidence, but like, that doesn't make me a good leader or that doesn't just give me the ability to, to lead a team. Uh, now for me and my personality style, that's a big piece to who I am. Uh, and, if, and if you can't tell, like I love to talk and uh, like that, that's a piece of me. And, and, but that doesn't mean that that's a part of leadership um, or, or what constitutes success for everybody else. Um, but those are the things that I've seen in, in terms of building some of the intangibles some of these skills, does that align with anything that you've done or, or seen in your career? 
I think your point about kind of the stories we're exposed to or the models we're exposed to influencing, you know, the beliefs that we internalize and then how we go about engaging in specific behaviors, that, that aligns. I probably, I don't know that I feel quite as strongly as you do about a piece of crap being a piece of crap. I do think there's, there's often more to the story that, that we don't know. Um, but I, I think there is a lot that you've, you've touched on here. There's the modeling element, you know, giving people someone or something to see that's different, which is basically the Tom Brady story you told, right? You, he's coming in modeling what it would look like for people to engage in a set of behaviors that would develop these professional skills that are really important. Um, you talked about language, which I also think is really important, praising effort versus praising outcomes. And that's just one bucket of it, right? You can also look at language and how you talk about managing stress or language and how you talk about identity or language, how you talk about what it means to perform or what it means to practice well. I mean, there are all these places that I think, you know, coaches or performers could kind of intervene and help some of these, these skills be developed. And I think, you know, what I'm taking away from this is this finding intangibles element of what we do in sport can be an unfair advantage. And so I would love in closing, I'm going to put you on the spot here. I'd love in closing for you to share, you know, if you were going to pick one or two things from, from this book that you wish everyone knew or would pay more attention to, what, what would those things be and why? Number one is the talent paradox that I referenced earlier. Uh, talent is essential to success, but success is not determined by talent. I think that kind of drives a lot of why I wrote the book. And, and again, to emphasize that I'm not saying that talent is, is should be ignored in the evaluation process, but I, I view it as kind of the, the first filter, so to speak, of the people you're looking for. Because ultimately, you're looking for somebody to fulfill a role, to fulfill a job. Uh, you're, you're second looking for them to, to fit into your team uh, or your team concept or your offensive or defensive scheme. And then thirdly, you want to make sure that they align with your culture, your team culture. Now, not everybody's going to hit on all three of these, right? Like that's just the reality. But essentially, I, I wanted to write a book about how do you build a winning culture without using the word culture. And that's really what this book is about, is like defining the values that you want to represent as a team and then reverse engineering that and finding that in the people that you bring onto your team uh, and maybe the second part is your people are your culture. Uh, it's a part in the book where I kind of talk about that specifically. Um, you can't say that we're a hardworking team because we put it up on the wall and we point to it every day. If you're going to go acquire a player like Jamarcus Russell, who doesn't put in extra work. And so, you know, to touch on the one piece a moment ago that I just wanted to like, briefly, you know, you said like a piece of crap may not be a piece of crap. And uh, that'll be we'll shelve that for our, our next podcast that we talk about. But I think like my point is, it's different if that piece of crap is on your team already. And maybe signed to a long term deal, or maybe like, like is a freshman with a four, four year scholarship. It's another thing if you're trying to weigh between two people that can do a job that you, you need somebody to play left tackle. Somebody is going to have to play left tackle this year, okay? And like, yes, piece of crap over here is 10 out of 10, like talent. There's no, he's 6'7", he is a monster. 
but he's a piece of crap. And like this other guy, you know, he's, he's six, two and three eights, but like, you know, his shoulders are narrow is the only thing, Alex, but his teammates love him and he is going to, they're going to want to fight with him. And, and he shows up here every day and he represents everything that we want our team to be about. I'm not going to lie. That is a tough decision to make, especially if you're the decision maker and you're sitting in that chair and the pressure's on. This is the year. If you don't get it right, Alex, like you're out of here. What are you going to do? Are you going to sacrifice your culture so, so you can have short-term results? Well, like now, now you're marrying yourself to that strategy. Um, so I just believe fully that you are building a team and not picking players. Uh, and, and that's why I believe so strongly that this book really is about building a winning culture, not just evaluating uh, the intangibles and, and the player. Evan Burke, thank you so much for joining us. Before we wrap up here, where can people find you and learn more about your work? Oh, thanks so much, Alex. Uh, you, you can find my book, Finding Intangibles, on Amazon. I also do my own podcast called The Highest Level. Uh, it's a sport, sports leadership podcast, really exploring how championship cultures are built and leadership excellence at the highest levels. And uh, you can find me online, any social media, at Coach Evan Burke. Burke is spelled B-U-R-K, or my website, CoachEvanBurke.com. Thanks again for joining us. This was fantastic. Alex, thank you so much for having me, man. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Unfair Advantage podcast. You can learn more about the work we're doing helping high performers develop their own unfair advantage at our substack at unfairadv.substack.com.